the beginning is the same as last week. I told you that last week. So here's where I want you to, to kind of get our, our brains in tune here is this. In the life of a believer, when righteousness is received, it should be valued above everything else. We amen it, but here's the second part. If you didn't miss it last week, the link between the way we receive righteousness and how much we value it is directly seen in how we reflect it in our lives. So if you believe you can earn righteousness, it ain't got the same value as something that you cannot earn. Right? And Paul's going through this thing and he's getting on this. And, and that's the problem for a lot of us. We think that righteousness is something that we've, we've worked for. It's not received. It's, it's something that's achieved. And, and we talked about that last week with some of Paul's arguments in the beginning of this, this chapter right here with how people were hoping to, to build up their resume and hope that when they stood before the Lord one day, there was enough on it to let them into the kingdom or to not let them into the kingdom. And, and Paul says, if you believe that's the way you get righteousness, there's no way you can value it the way it deserves to be valued. Because when it's something you can't earn and you realize it's something that, that it's received and it's this unspeakable gift, it's unimaginable value to you. It will change you in such a way that everything related to it changes your beliefs. Your, your, your I mean, everything that he's, he's about to go into here. So last week, here's what he said. Kind of connect us. He's talking about these these Jews and a lot of the followers that are going around with him. And, and Judaizers specifically, we talked about that he called the dogs and the workers last week. Evil workers. And he says, if you guys follow these laws like this, this is how you believe you get God's good grace. And then he goes back to, to his followers in the church that he's writing. And he says, we are what they're trying to be. And when I, when I realized, I was like, man, that's that's kind of a, a cool way to put it. You know, they're working all this way to to get this this right standing before the Lord. And Paul looks at his followers. He goes, we are what they're trying to earn to be, what they're working toward. You know, they talk about the flesh and circumcision and keeping the laws and, and being good Jews and those things being a gateway to Christianity. And he says their problem is righteousness is only coming not through their works, but through the faith and in Christ alone. And hear this, because only do we do the right things for the right reason when we got the right motive. And that's what Paul's really getting at. He's saying these, these things that they do, they're not bad things, they're good things. But if they're motivated behind the wrong motive, it messes things up. So he told them, we, we used it last week, that it isn't the mark on the body, it's the mark on the heart that produces true worship, confidence in Christ. And building on that idea, we'll jump into verse 4 where we're at today. He says this, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he's got grounds for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. What he's saying is this. Paul said, man, you Judaizers, that we talked about them last week, that you're coming after me to all these churches I've started, all these things I'm doing. And you're trying to, to tell these people, oh, it's not just grace. You've got to mix in the law with it in order to receive salvation. And he says, you guys, if you think that's what it is, your, your, your legalistic ID, I just want to make sure you know, like, I've done a better job than you guys have done at it. So he throws out his resume. And it just made me think this right here. And of course, the Lord always gives me real life examples. So I had that uh, Friday night over at uh, the deal's house. But, but here's the big idea, spiritually speaking. Often those who promote the idea of having confidence in the flesh are the same ones who, the, who are the least qualified to do so. You guys hear that? I'm going to say it one more time. Often those who promote the idea of having confidence in the flesh are the same ones who are least qualified to have such confidence. Real life example, so that we'll understand it maybe a little better. You ever notice how people who are least qualified always can give the most advice? Anybody ever put themselves in a situation or, or been around a situation where they heard somebody say, oh, when I have kids, they're not going to do it that way. Have you been dumb enough to say that yourself? 
Right. All my kids did what I said they would never do. Some of them still doing it. Right. Like, like, how do you what thinks you what, what makes you think you got the right to tell somebody how to parent when you're not a parent? Right. I had the idea the other night playing this game. Code names. My brother went first. I said, man, in my head. So this is confession time, brother, at the same time, right? In my head, I'm like, man, this clue sucked. Like, he is not doing a good job of giving me what I need to guess these words. So he says, he says, he says, just wait, your time is coming. So that just promotes my pride. Oh, my time is coming. I'm going to show you what is up. When it's my turn to do this, we're going to get them all. And, I, I, you know, just being a moron. That's, that's, what, that's all you can call it, right? Somebody who is least qualified trying to think they can give advice for something they're not for. So I, I, I get my turn comes. I'll write down all these words. I'm so excited. I'm so I mean, I've got I've got it. I've got them in my head clicking and I'm so excited. I shoot up with the with the first. I don't know how many of you guys have played the game. So we're trying to give the illustration without too many details on the on the game. But you're trying to pick one word and then a number of words on the board that relate to that one word. So I've got them all. And there's three places in my list. Oh, like, that's going to be so easy. I'm going to say places. I'm going to say three and they go guess all three of them because that is easy as you can get. So I'll pridefully look up with a smile. Places. Three. Nate, who is a pediatrician, is much smarter than me. He looks at the board because it was guys versus girls, as it should be. He looks at the board and says, man, there's a lot of places. I hadn't looked at the board. None, guys. I looked at my words and my words only because that's all I cared about. Right. And I look up at the board and I'm just going through each list. I'm like, dang. That was the worst hint I could have possibly gave in this game. <laughs> so at the end, I'm still stuck on like, man, that, like all my hints were based off of just my words, not thinking about these other words. His lovely wife is nice enough to say, oh, we all did that when we first started. <laughs> we're all very unqualified when we first start. <laughs> but if we put a little bit of effort into it, we could get more qualified. But I, I'm just thinking like Paul's listening to these guys. And I don't know if you were here last week. So just trying to make sure you connect it. He, he calls out these guys. He actually calls them dogs like they had been calling the Gentiles. And then he follows through with verse four right here. And he says, you guys think you're qualified? Let me tell you about my qualifications, except for he's much better than I was at the game. He's got real good qualifications. So he goes into it. Look at verses five and six with me. Oh, hold on. I skipped over Colossians 2.23. I don't want Katie Beth mad at me. Colossians 2.23. You got it on the screen. Paul writing another church and he says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. He's just telling another church like the same thing. Like we lack wisdom sometimes because we we haven't connected the dots. We haven't learned from our scars and other scars. And then he goes into five and six. And you can picture it. I hope you can picture his attitude. If not, you will picture his attitude when I get to one word that he uses. Here in a minute. But verse five, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, you know, and he goes through this this whole thing that that Emory just read for us. And what he's given is he's given his resume. And he says, in my resume, I was I was on the eighth day. I'm not a current convert. I'm the real deal. Like I, I, I came this thing, you know, naturally. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from Jacob's favorite son. This is how much he's going in. I'm from the first king. King Saul came from this group. Right. I'm a Pharisee. I'm educated. I've got zeal. Which keep in mind the zeal he's referring to at this stage involves a, a love of the law and a hatred for Christians. And he, and he describes that in his, in his testimony, right? So, so he's going into this thing and he's giving his testimony about his past. 
And here's the other thing I love how the Lord connects stuff. We've always started every year with testimony time. So like this year, like both the ladies and the men, like we're just in the middle of our studies and, and I didn't know what to do. So I just been praying over it. And this is how the Lord will use you guys as I pray. Cause I'm praying over it and like two of you and, and a couple others had mentioned, but two specifically said, I know the Lord has told me I'm supposed to share my testimony this year. And in my head, I'm like, man, I didn't even know for sure if we were going to do them, you know, this year. And, and because of just just where we're at in our studies and stuff. And, and it was just like, man, like when the Lord lines stuff up and we guys are connected, it's just awesome. So now I know we need to do them in January. Like I'd already been kind of thinking about. But but then then, like, in case I wasn't smart enough, because I'm not that smart of a person, the Lord says, I'm going to also throw an exact stage of Philippians. Remember, we do verse by verse. So like, you can't line this stuff up any better, right? I'm going to throw in the exact verse in Philippians where I talk about testimonies right before you start doing testimonies. Then things you, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, Lord, like you've proven your point. You, you've hammered the nail in. So needless to say, if you felt led to do a testimony at, at whatever stage, you know, testimonies are, are different stages. Some people, your testimonies when you first get saved or, or first into the kingdom or your beliefs are first starting or, or whatnot. Some of them was like miraculous healings, you know, some of its stages and, and like some of its blessings, like a million dollars. Coming to do, which I think some of them already know about because they started drilling for water already and, and laying pipe. Uh, but, you, you know, all this this stuff going along uh, with it and going on. And then some of us, just so we're aware before we, we prepare this thing, we said it last week. Some of us make ourselves the highlight of our testimony rather than the Lord being the highlight of our testimony. And then some of us play the what up game. You ever played the what up game with Christians? Like who's the biggest sinner? But we do it. We don't do it with like a, this is because God is so awesome. We do it as like a prideful kind of thing. Oh, you used to be able to drink three, bro. I drink six, six. That's punk drinking. I drink a whole twelve. You know, like like it's like this game we play where we're seeing who can one up the other. And then there's those that like have to increase the fish story. Y'all, y'all know what a fish story is in the South, right? Now I don't know why we, <laughs> I don't know why we feel the need to have to increase a story about God's awesomeness, but we do it. And, and in case you don't know what I'm talking about, like it's the guy, uh, you remember the, the, the hundred year, thousand year flood, whatever we called it down here, not too long ago, if you've lived in Give Any Time. We're like, there was this guy who was rescued from it, and, and he loved this testimony so much that he would go to other churches' testimony time and start sharing it. And every time the flood got bigger and bigger, you know, before it was just Shad Lane underwater, now it's Highway 61 underwater. And when he made it to the next place, it was like the whole low country was underwater and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, this guy dies and goes to heaven. Hope you've connected now. This isn't a true story. Right. So he's sitting there with Peter and Peter says, you know, he's laying out the plans for, for heaven. He's like, this is what we're going to do tonight. And he sees down testimony time. He's got to get so excited. He's like, what? Like testimony time is going to be so great. He goes, can I share mine? I know it's my first day, but can I do it? Peter says, yes, of course. Of course, you can share your testimony. Then he pauses and he goes, hey, uh, John, I just want to remind you, when you're sharing your testimony, Noah will be in the crowd tonight. <laughs> we do that with our testimonies. Though. Like We make them like they've got to be the biggest thing ever. And, and I don't understand why we think like we've got to make a bigger deal about it than, than it was. Right. Like the, God is sovereign. He doesn't need you to toot his horn. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not bigger because you make him bigger. He is maximum right now. Oh, um, so, so Paul gets this. So. Here's what I want to kind of share with us. And these you could call them ingredients or I think the, the, the media team came up with a much better title credentials uh, that we should have in our testimony. So number one is this. First thing you can do big as we're in a Southern Baptist church. You need to shred your religious resume. 
Take that joker, throw it through a shredder, throw it in the trash can, flush it down the toilet, do whatever else you need to do to it, get rid of it. You hear what I'm saying? Like, get rid of your religious testimony. If you're looking at me like, what is my religious resume? Then maybe, and I don't think a lot of us, since we're in the South, to be honest, but I do acknowledge the fact that some of us don't know what that is. Some of us are, are like my wife, who was an atheist up until the point of conversion and had no no religious uh, hogwash, no spiritual baggage is what I'll call it, no spiritual baggage to bring along into a relationship with Christ. And not the spiritual baggage is always a bad thing, but I'm going to tell you guys, we get in a lot of trouble with our spiritual baggage we used to have. Okay? So so she's really, and I, I know it's weird to say, oh, you tell your wife she's blessed that she was an atheist for all those years? In reason, yes. Uh, because she didn't get corrupted by church life and, and everything else. But on the flip side, like there's a lot of us who were missing the mark. And, and that's what Paul gets to at this very beginning, right? A lot of us have been raised in a religious home. We've trusted that we've got religious parents. And at some point, we've got to get to the fact where you've got to get rid of all that. Like if that is what you're basing your salvation and your entrance into the kingdom on, you're missing the mark, man. And that's what Paul really understands. He goes, I've got, I've got to shred this religious resume right in front of you. I mean, we used the phrase before, God has no grandchildren. He doesn't. First John, he says, all those who come to me, I will accept as my children, right? Like, like first generation kind of relationship. It's a personal kind of thing right here. Your parents can drag you to church, but your parents can't get you into the kingdom, right? The, the Southern culture you grew up in, they can drag you to church and drag you to religious ideas and get you to say grace over your meals. That's not going to get you into the kingdom. And that's what Paul finally realizes here. And Paul says, I've got a huge religious resume. Let me share it with you. And while I share it with you, I want to make sure you understand what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw this joker out the window because it's worthless. So in verse five, he uses five, five or six. I can't remember how many I'm getting five or six words that describe, you know, his testimony. And I think they relate to a lot of us. And the very first one he comes up with that a lot of us would relate to is his heredity. Right. So here's what he says, verse 5, concerning himself, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. What he's saying is my heredity has, has got me where I'm supposed to be. I'm not a converted, you know, Gentile into, into Judaism. I, I'm not even a, a proselyte, right? I'm a birth by ritual and by right Jew. Like I am the real deal. I was born into this thing. I was circumcised on the eighth day like I was supposed to be. And I trusted in that at one time. How many rituals, practices connected through genes kind of mentality do we have where we're trusting in that for our salvation? Last week, we used the illustration like baptism, confirmation, christening, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I even had a guy this week. You talk about Lord just lining up funny things for you, right? He not only told me he was baptized. He told me he was baptized at a certain church by a certain person. And I was like, did that do something certain for you? Like, Did it, <laughs> did it make it more special? Um, you know, it's like... Uh, I didn't get baptized in a pool. I got baptized in the river. I didn't get baptized in the river. I got baptized in the ocean. I, I don't I don't know what that did for you other than a cool illustration and a cool worldly you know testimony to it. But but it doesn't make anything more powerful, you know, th through this thing. And, and that's the problem. And, and we mess that up sometimes as we we're relating to this thing. And, and, and Paul's saying, look, man, I'm I'm not Baptist. I'm not Methodist. I am the real deal Jew here. And if anybody's got a right to brag about it, it's me. So he's proud of where he came from, and he's using that to a group of people that would hold that in high esteem, high honor. And at the end, he's going to say that that's not it. The next thing he says, so another word to describe him, his nobility. We talked about it just a minute ago when I went through it. He says, I'm from the tribe of uh, Benjamin. I, I'm from, you know, if you know your Jewish history, like I'm from the most noble line 
that there is. The first king came from here. And I wonder if why he's saying this. We don't know this, so it's speculation. But I wonder if why he's saying this. He's like, you know, King Saul, I was named after that guy. Right? Like that, that's part of where, where he's kind of going and, and tooting his horn on this thing. Like he, he's proud to be from this tribe, the only tribe loyal to the tribe of Judah when they all split. So, so he's saying like, I'm from not only the right background, the right genes, but I, I'm from nobility. Like I'm from a specific group that elevates me higher than the rest. And the crowd he's talking to again, you know, would, would, would be in this. So maybe part of us, maybe I should start with part of us, we, we got to get out of our, our, our 20th, 21st, 22nd century. Idea of mentality of our viewing and go back to first century. Like we need to acknowledge the fact of of some of the stuff that they would have held to this degree uh, as Paul lists. So the next thing he lists, he lists his pedigree. He says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, now what he's getting at here, we wouldn't really understand, but he's saying, I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrew parents. I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. I'm not a Greek culture Jew. I'm not a Greek speaking Jew. I was raised in the Hebrew style and I've got this thing. And what he's getting at is there's this large group of in the, in the Greco-Roman world where, where Jewish people have migrated and dispersed all over and Jews all over the world. And they've been raised in cultures where there's so many pagan customs. And Paul's saying, like, this isn't me. I was born the right way. I was born through the right parents. I, I, I've been going to the, to the synagogues where, where Jew, Jewish language has been spoken and Jewish teaching has been done. And I've been I've been raised in the right culture superior to all the rest. And that would be their viewpoint to the crowd he's speaking to. He's saying, like, like, I came to the, it's like us sometimes, we think we're at a, the right church. You know, well, my church is more holy than your church, so it means I'm the, and now if you're here, that's right, and that's good, but it, Becky and Nate, y'all, y'all are welcome too for the day, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but, but that's the kind of attitude he's having in, in current culture. He's like, ours is, is better than yours. So maybe a, a help of this would be like a, a sketch of the background for somebody with this mentality to help us understand. So his educational background would be this. As a toddler, as a toddler now, so less than five, he would have learned to recite the Shema. Now, I don't know if you guys even know what that is, but if you go to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, he would have learned it in Hebrew. He would have run around the house. Like you ever, you ever learn like as a little kid, like learn something like that's all they say. Like they learn a loose song. They run through the house singing it. If they learn their ABCs, they run through the house, doing, you know, whatever it is. So he would learn, he would run through this whole house, but he'd be saying it in Hebrew out loud. Like, like just beautiful, you know, I'm not even going to try Hebrew, but it'd be, you know, hero, Israel, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He learned this as a toddler and he would be speaking it and he would be so proud of it. At age five, they would, they would send him to like a, almost like a special school for studying scriptures. At six, he now goes to the synagogue and learns to not only uh, uh, read and study and, and quote it, but now he's learning to read and write it. In a culture where reading and writing isn't like it is right now where everybody can do it. Like this, this is a, a, a new thing at 10. He would have already started to memorize large portions of not only the, the scriptures in the first five books of the Bible, but even the oral law that had been passed on, the traditions of the of the elders. At 12, he'd start preparing for, for his bar mitzvah, which happens at 13. And then at 15, more, more study begins to take place, so much so that he would begin in the oral traditions and the, and, and Talmudic writings and, and all this, this attitude and stuff. He would go to Jerusalem for five to six years to start his rabbi studies. And, and then he's just getting deeper, man. So not only is it a hereditary uh, thing, a nobility thing, uh, his pedigree is just awesome. And he's saying, I am solid Taurus. I, I, I am devoted. I, I've got the best resume you can get. And keep in mind, in a minute, he's going to say, it's all hogwash. It all doesn't matter for anything. Verse five still. Not only a Hebrew of Hebrews, but now he says, I'm also a Pharisee. 
Now, how many of you, when you first heard that word, you're like, why is he including that in his resume? Like, he's bragging about everything, and then he throws this in. Anybody think back to, like, Jesus? He's like, man, Jesus, like, just called these guys whitewashed tombs. Jesus just called them uh, uh, um, hypocrites. You know, why this? Why? Because the original Hebrew origin for Pharisee meant separated. These guys had it on. Like, they, they were pulled apart. They, they started studying around 200 B.C., they, they, they were the ones who, who would push everything in their whole life to studying and obeying the written word and the written law of God. And then they got a little corrupted and they got a little off track. So these guys started off really, really good. And to have that title would be a big thing around this time frame. So when Paul lists it, it's not like us. It's a good thing. You know, he doesn't, they don't have the same attitude we have. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever read any of Josephus' stuff, uh, a Jewish historian, probably the most well-known, at least for our time right now. Um, but he says this in one of his writings. He says the Pharisees were the leading sect among the Jews, the most accurate interpreters of the law. So let's make sure like this isn't a negative word like you and I look at. Like these guys would have held this as, as like something awesome, right? And then he studied under this particular Pharisee, his particular mentor, Acts chapter 22. You guys remember his name? Yeah, probably the, the most famous scholar of, of Jewish history still to this day. And, and I'm going to come back to that through his, his other thing right here, because here's the fifth word that describes him, his intensity. In verse 6, it says, concerning zeal? Concerning, like, the intensity and the, the passion I got? Let me tell you about my, my zeal. And this guy would have been somebody who's he's specifically talking about persecuting the church. He said, I'm a zealous defender of Judaism. Like, I, I, I'm all about this. And this is where I learned it from as he's going through this resume. So, so Gamaliel, his, his uh, rabbi mentor, hated Christians. I mean, just to a T, called them heretics and, and numerous of his writings. And it was just really upset with them. So Acts chapter nine, you guys probably remember Saul is, is, is threatening to murder the disciples of the Lord. And he's measuring his zeal by how much the people hate him. So, so here's a note for you guys. I want you to, to grab a hold of, if you're trying to think about your testimony and your walk, you're bad off. If you're more known for what you're against than what you're for. You catch that? It is a bad situation to be in if you're well known or if you're known more for what you're against rather than what you're for. So when you're giving your testimony or you're living your life like that, what do people know me for? Paul then talks about his morality, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law. I was blameless. He's saying, man, there's not a soul on earth that could accuse me or anything. I live by the book. To a T. I kept righteousness to a T. And I am righteous because of that keeping. So as we're at this stage in Paul's testimony, I got to how do you keep your righteousness? How do you obtain righteousness? Maybe it's more important than keeping it. How do you obtain righteousness? You ever talk to somebody about salvation? You're like, man, I'm doing my best. Your best ain't good enough. I'm trying really hard. Really hard ain't good enough. I work really hard. It ain't good enough. I'm doing all. I'm religious. Well, if you're religious and you think that makes you righteous, you're in more trouble than we thought. Right. So religious people. And here's maybe the problem. And I think why Paul spends so much time at the beginning on this. Religious people are the hardest to convert. Because you think you've been doing it right your whole life. Right. You think, man, I was born in America. Like that makes me that's the closest thing to Israel as you can get. Right. I was born to Christian parents. I, I grew up in the in the church and all that may be good things. But that's not it. 
Right? You, you, you talk about all this stuff and, and being confirmed and baptism and, and all this righteous rule keeping and all that right there. And you've got just enough morality to keep you out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get you into the kingdom. And that's the scary place to be, man. And, and, and even worse so is this. Not only are, are, are people who have this, this religious attitude the hardest to convert, they're the hardest to grow. Because they're afraid of the change. They're afraid of, oh, what I learned 10 years ago might not be the best. You know, I, I tell you, I was talking to my, my, my brother last night, uh, another pastor, as we were talking, he's like, man, my whole theology has like changed in the last four years. And I'm like, man, mine's changing like every six months. Like, not to the extent of like, you know, different, need to open a new church or that kind of attitude, just, just in the growth of scripture, in the growth of the understanding of the kingdom and all. Like, it's, it's changing. And I'm going to tell you right now, guys, if you're not, if your mind and your heart isn't open to change through scripture, you're missing out on so many blessings that God could have for you. Like, if you think you got it all already because you've grown up in it in your whole life, you're missing out on so many of the blessings that could be coming your way. Like, again, shred your religious resume. And here's Paul's question on this stuff and what he's getting at. And he tells them, if anybody's got the right to be confident in this stuff, it's me. And it's and I've done it and I've got this right and, and I'm boasting in this and you guys are boasting in this. But the reality is I just need to get rid of this stuff, right? Because these things aren't bad. All those things are good. But a good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. And that's where Paul's really at. He's got, I got all this good stuff and it's been blocking me from the best thing. So shred your religious resume. Number two, this one should seem obvious. You gotta have a spiritual encounter. You gotta have a spiritual encounter. And you're like, I didn't read about his spiritual encounter in here. Yeah, you did. Because he sums up his spiritual encounter in one word. Verse seven. First word in verse seven. What is it? But. This is a good holy but right here. Right? Like it, like it is. But. But is a word that denotes change. It's a, it's a negative conjunction. I'm not talking about no English class kind of idea here. What I'm saying is Paul is pivoting and he's saying, I'm changing all my thinking. I've got this great resume. Let me tell you about all this awesome stuff that, that I've done and I thought was the thing that was going to make me righteous. This is who I used to be, but these are the things I used to trust in, but here's a list of the things I thought was important, but, but something happened and it changed my life. He had everything he could achieve in the system that he thought was right, yet he knew he was still lacking something. How many people sit in churches across our world today or yesterday or or whenever, and they've been living up to the system the best that they can, and they're still miserable because they're missing out on the real thing, right? Like they, they feel like they've done, man, they could, they could win a sword drill when it comes to looking through scripture. They, they could quote and memorize all this, this great phenomenal stuff and sound so impressive. Yet they're miserable because they've got no relationship and no personal encounter with Christ. And they're missing out on so much because of it, right? So he says in verse seven, that little word button, that butt takes us back 30 years. 30 years ago, he goes back and, and, and this is estimate, of course, because there's no dates on this stuff. But he's like, but I was on the road to Damascus from Jerusalem. I was headed there. I was actually going there to imprison believers, possibly kill believers. And I had an encounter with Christ. And if you guys get time this week, man, we don't have time to go into it this morning. It's going to be a whole other sermon. But but if you get time, go to Acts chapter 9 and, and refresh yourself with Paul's butt right here. Because this is what he's referring back to. He said, man, I, I was on the, I was on mission to do something the way I thought it should be done, the way I was told it was right, the way I had been told my whole life. 
And then I had a 911 experience. So when you read, read all of chapter nine. But I do love that it's verse 11 in Acts chapter nine, where Christ tells him, get up. You got knocked off your high horse. You know, you, 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 you can't see right now. I want you to get up. You're going to start doing stuff my way. Right. And this is what's awesome, because it's this episode, this encounter that changes everything. I mean, he goes from being a prosecutor to being a preacher. He goes from Mr. Prideful, you know, that that resume just now I had to Mr. Humble. Because what does he say? He says all that stuff was was dog poop, man. Like it was it was nothing. That's spiritual, by the way, except for it's probably cow dung. But anyway, right. He, he goes on to say, he goes, I, I was once a religious man. Now. Now I'm a righteous man. I, I was self-confident. Now. Now I'm kingdom confident. I mean, just just everything is changing. He has this encounter in Acts chapter nine. And, and the difference in his wording when you go back and read it is what changes everything. Because the guy he was against, he calls him what? Jesus, you're my Lord. Like his whole attitude has instantly changed. He submits to him instantly. Right? And as he submits to him, he even asks a question at the end of it. He goes, what is it that you want me to do now for you? Would you be bold enough to, to get an encounter like that with the Lord and ask that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what is it that you want me to do? Some of you are afraid to do it because you might be like the people in the third row who would have to sell everything and go to Africa. Like, well, Lord, what would you want me to do within reason? Like, well, what's, what's like the next thing I could do that's not that thing? Right. Some of you'd be afraid because it means you have to get up and give your testimony in the, in the next couple of weeks. Some of you are afraid because it means you have to teach on a chapter in the men's room. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some of you, some of you are so afraid, so scared of what it is that God would call you to do that you're missing out on the blessings that God could do through what you're going to do. And I mean, it is just phenomenal what he can do if we would be vessels that are willing. There, there's a, a writer, it might be Spurgeon, but I can't swear to it. And, and he says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he uh, uh, fills in with an impossible person. And I think about that with Paul. Paul's getting ready to do an impossible task, man. He's getting ready to totally flip the, the belief systems upside down. So he takes an impossible person like Paul, the least person you would think of to, to do this, and he uses them to do this kind of thing, right? So if you have that kind of encounter yet, if you hadn't got that encounter, you, man, you need to get you one, right? He goes the rest of his life doing what it is that Jesus wants him to do. Now, now here I want to be honest with what Paul has, and I love it. I really do love it. What happens to Paul happens instantly. He's one way one day. And he's instantly going the other direction the very next, I mean, moments later, right? So, so it's different than a lot of us. And I understand that's okay. It's not like it's better or worse or anything like that. Some people come, come into crisis a process. You got to get a little bit today, a little bit next week, a little bit on Wednesday, a little bit a month from now. And finally something clicks and you get it. But when you get it, when you get the encounter, there's no way there can't be change that takes place. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's no way that change. And, and as you grow in your relationship with Christ, there's no way changes can't be taking place. Right. You, you, growth has to be taking place. So like Paul, uh, some's instantaneous. Some, you know, get that encounter and it rolls. But it's OK that it's not instantaneous, too. I just point that out because I feel like some people preach like this is the way it's got to be. It's this way when, when you finally connect the dots. But I understand. I think the Lord understands for some people it takes longer for dots to to get drawn out. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, yes, when you get Christ, you do have to change. I'm not changing that message. But I'm just making sure we understand. Like, for some people, we got to show some grace, man. It takes a little longer. You know what I mean? If we talked about it uh, last week at the beginning, of the, or two weeks ago, at the end of chapter two. Like, even Paul himself is growing in his grace, in his understanding of his brothers that he's doing ministry with. Um, his whole attitude changed with, with the guy who wants to go back home now. So, number one, shred your religious resume. Number two, 
get you a spiritual encounter with Christ. And number three, you got to relearn that account. Look at what Paul says, verses seven and eight. But what great things were gained to me? I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word count, counted, uh, or any form of count occurs three times in these two verses. And in the Greek word, it's a mathematical term of accounting. So it literally means to reckon or to reason. And he's saying, I've got my books open. I've got my, my profit and loss. There's other two words you need to underline. So you got counting and then you got gain and you got loss. All of verse seven. And he's saying, I, I got my books open into the business world. This accounting term right here. He said, I got a profit column and I've got a loss column. If for all these years, I've been filling up the profit column with the wrong stuff. I've been putting the wrong things on the wrong side. And here he says on this loss column, as I open these books, I've got to totally change where everything's at. I've been working on my spiritual religious resume all this time and thinking these are things that that I've been gained. And these are things that, that I should be proud of. But Paul says, I've learned to count them differently and I've learned to shift them. From one column to the next. So what he's saying is, is like some people who grew up in the, in the church and even people who didn't. He's saying there's gotta reach a stage where we understand like the things we thought were increasing us in Christ were sometimes becoming hindrances to us in Christ. He's saying like, I, I thought I had so much stuff. I didn't think I needed the Lord. It's why you know, people tell you all the time, oh, the Lord's never gonna send you through more than you can handle. That's a lie from Satan. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can handle it, why would you reach out to him? Why would you need to, 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 to have him, right? The course, the Lord, hear me right now. The Lord is going to give you a lot more than you can handle at stages in your walk. And he's going to do it on purpose. You, you hear what I'm like? I, I want you to make sure you get that. Like he's going to do it intentionally. He's going to intentionally put you through some hell in life, right? So that what? So that you will have to cry out. You will have to need him. You will have to rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ. You will need you a Timothy, a Silas, a Paul, and a Barn- even a Barnabas, you know, and all the rest of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's going to do that. And he does it on purpose. He doesn't do it because he's a mean God and like loves to see you in misery. He does it because he wants you to have to reach out to him. Like it's a good thing. I don't mean it as a, as bad as it sounds. I'm just making sure we understand like, man, don't, don't fall into those little cliche phrases of, Oh, it's going to be happy and glory. Lord's never going to give you more than you'll ever need because you were born in America and you got religious parents and you've been drugged to church your whole life. Bull. Right? Like it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. It's going to be real bad for some of you to get hit for that very first time and you don't have a clue of what actually happened. <laughs> you know, when you get knocked off that horse. That's what he's saying. Let me read seven and eight one more time through a different translation. I think maybe it'll, it'll help us a little bit. So Paul writes this. The very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing them up and I'm throwing them out in the trash, along with everything else that I could have used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. I have dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. We've heard this verse so many times in church. I think sometimes it like loses its punch. Yeah, I said that last week with, with some of the, the things that Paul says, like Paul, Paul calls those guys dogs to get their attention. It's an attention getter. When he uses, yes, he's talking about cow crap. 
when he uses that word that I can't say from stage because my wife would shrink below the thing as, as, as uh, Cheryl was saying this morning, like, like he's using that word in their language. You understand that? Like it's a shock factor. He wants to make sure they're getting it. So much so that here's what he's saying. And notice he's not just saying the religious things that he's listed. He says what in verse 8? I count all things. All. Everything. I'm not just counting my religious pedigree as a loss. I'm counting everything as a loss. But but hear me loud and clear right here because we need to make sure we grab the, 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 the system. I counted them as a loss in view of the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this, and please understand this, man. Value is based off what something's compared to. You understand that? I don't want anybody leaving thinking, oh, we, we should never follow the law. We should never do this. We, that's not what I'm saying at all. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying in view of Christ, this stuff's way down there. Like he, the, the, the compare, the scale, the scale is not like here, here. It's like this. Christ is here and all that other stuff, as good as it is, as useful as it can become, it's like rubbish right now for what's really going on. Right. So 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 your value is based off what you compare things to. It wasn't so much the, the worthless of themselves. It was a compared to Christ. These things are worthless. Right. So he's joyful. He's accepting the loss of, of all these things, the greatness of his personal relationship. And then he then he uses the word that word rubbish, that word cow dung, that word dog dung is the other translation has. it. Right. What he's saying is all this stuff smells. Do You remember back in, in Isaiah and, and numerous times in the Old Testament it talks about the pleasing aroma of sacrifices to the Lord. What he's saying is these things I thought were sacrifices to the Lord. They stunk to the Lord. They, they, they didn't do anything. They didn't accomplish anything through the Lord. These things were trash in comparison to relationship with Christ. And he's saying they weren't a pleasing aroma. And how many things is it that maybe us, maybe like the Old Testament or maybe like right near where Paul's at, we thought we were doing all these things. Oh, I served here. I helped here. I gave a check here. I tithed here. All good things. But if you think they're pleasing aromas to the Lord so that you can get your name lifted up. Paul says, you're missing it, man. These things are rubbish. These things are not a pleasing aroma. These things, matter of fact, just just stink the exact opposite, you know, to the Lord. So so it's got a, a real punch to it if we were to hear it in their language. So much so that it even says now the books are open and I've made this discovery. I realize, man, I'm bankrupt before the Lord. Because all those things I've been doing, like they, they don't earn anything yet, right? They've actually kept me from a real authentic relationship with God. And sometimes that's some of our scariest, some of our scariest stuff. You know, I was thinking like we've been doing all this stuff, like we, we miss it. We tune out a sermon or we tune out an opportunity, you know, to, to, to have some time with the Lord because we just, we feel like we already had it. And I love it, even his changing in the language of verses seven and eight. Verse seven, he says, counted. Past tense. He's saying 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I, I changed my whole attitude. Then in verse 80 changes it. We wouldn't catch it. But he says the word count, which is a present tense in the Greek, right? So he's saying, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying 30 years ago, I made a decision. I'm not ashamed of it yet. Right. He's saying, like, I, I'm proud. I don't regret the choice I made. You know, longevity is the test of choice. Is it not why we praise marriages? You know what I'm saying? You, you ever had like, not to take away from anybody's anniversary, but you ever had like, like a couple who's been married for like 20 years, maybe even 10 years, and then that 30 year, and then that four, let me, let me, let me get a hand. Let's go ahead and acknowledge it right now. Who's got the longest marriage? 
You should brag about this. This is a good thing. I'm serious. Right? I know who's got it because I just did their renewal ceremony not too long ago. What is it? 60 years! Huh? That is something to be praised. And here's why, because longevity passes the test. Here's what I love, though. Somebody's been married 60 years. They look at somebody who's got that first year anniversary. You remember how dumb you were your first year anniversary? Just, just be all right. You remember, like, you did something stupid for the date, or, or you did something dumb in the whole first year, and you were so proud of us. You were so, you're like, I made it one year. This couple right here is like, you mons, you ain't got a clue what's coming, right? You're still in the honeymoon stage, right? Somebody who's made it through the test, like, they made it through some tests. You know what I'm saying? And that's the same thing with the wall. That's why, like, you should never get tired of giving your testimony because you're an older Christian or you've been there for a long period of time. Because we need some people that said, man, I made this decision 30 years ago and I'm still happy I made it. Right? Instead, here's what the world sees. We got people who've been in church 30 years and they look like they've been in church 30 years. (laughs) Am I right? Let's just be honest about it. Right? My, my, my brother last night again, man, he gave me too much material. He go, I'll be watching online so you can hear this thing later, right? Like, he was talking about, like, when he was younger. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Since you, yeah, he wouldn't care. Like, he was talking about, he really wouldn't. But he was talking about when he was younger, like, going to raves and parties and stuff. And, and, and just, just just a different kind of lifestyle, right? He goes, man, those things were so much fun. And it got me thinking, like, how, how come, like, when we went to those things, it was so much fun, but when we go to church, we don't look like we had fun. And I'm not saying church should always be fun. There's going to be some moments in your walk with Christ where you should walk out with your little head tucked between your knees because you got convicted of something, right? But shouldn't it also be something about, man, I got convicted, but I'm so thrilled to know that Philippians chapter 3 says, if if I hadn't had that dirty past and all those scars, that I would still be in the same stage I'm in right now, needing God's grace. You realize that? Like, you're in the same stage. No matter how many scars and how much past trash Satan tries to convict you, you're in the same stage. You need a personal encounter with Christ and you need his righteousness and not your own. Right? But do we live that way? You know what I love? And I'll pick on her because she's my sister, right? I watched three little kids back there while y'all was singing and being all proper and worshiping. I was not doing it. Right? So confession time again. I don't mind. I got distracted by three kids. I watched them jokers smiling and poking each other. And laughing. I, I even watched the lady come in. And, yep, she did it again right there. You just told on yourself, I wasn't going to use you, but now you're there, right? Like, she she was looking behind her. Not in the meanwhile, She was smiling, right? And it got me thinking. I was like, how come I don't do something to make people like want to smile and giggle, right? Like while worshiping. Huh? And then I watched the mama, my sister, <laughs> lean forward and do that poking thing that parents do. You know what I'm talking about. Like, if you were me, you know what I'm talking about. I got poked a lot in church, right? Sit down. You be quiet and you put a frowny face on your face. She didn't say it quite like that. But that's what we do. Shouldn't we be smiling, though? I mean, shouldn't we, no matter where you're at in your walk right now, shouldn't we be like realizing where Paul's at? Paul's saying, man, he thought he had it. He realized he didn't have it. So he had to throw all that away. And now he's understanding through an encounter like he's getting it again. That should be a good thing. Right? That should be an awesome kind of feeling that takes place. I mean, he's excited about it. He's, he's going on the value, man. He's, and he's, oh, man, just a righteousness that he grabs a hold of. You don't know about it until you've experienced it. And that real encounter is what gave Paul the ability to get this excited about it and understand this thing. We, we, we've, we've created a lie sometime in church and we just use the word repent. We just got to re- repent of all your wrongs. No, that's a lie. You know what? I, let me prove it to you. I'm going to confess that they did something because I'm tired of confessing today. 
You don't even have to say what you did, just that you made a mistake this week. If all your hands aren't up, I promise I will pray, I will pray Revelation 21.8 right now on top of you if your hand's not up. You made a mistake. Everybody did this week. I promise you it was holiday week, right? You had to spend time with family. You had to be home for what you You made a mistake. Okay. You repent from that mistake. You admitted it was wrong. Did that save you? Did it make you righteous? Think about Paul and his guys right now. They lived the best lives they could live. Literally, he said, I, he said, I, I could never say this. He had he was he, he was in a stage in his walk where he could literally say, I live blamelessly everywhere I went. Like I go into town and you give somebody my name, they could tell you some old stories. Paul went into town. They could give you some current stories, too, to be honest. They, they, Paul went into town and he gave his name and the town looked and they were like, I got nothing for that guy. I got no stories like that guy. He's just been living it the right way his whole life. But then he admits what? That was rubbish. That was dung. That was trash. Why? Because he, we don't need to change our view on what's right and wrong. We know that. Do we not? We don't need, we don't need to just repent and say, Oh, I don't need to be doing that. We know that. What gets Paul into the kingdom is he changes his view on righteousness. You understand the difference? That's what gets Paul into this thing. Paul didn't have to change his attitude towards sin to become a Christian. He had to change his attitude toward righteousness. He had to understand what made him right in his standing before the Lord. That righteousness is received and not earned. That he had to repent from his formula. Like, what I've been doing ain't working. And I got to get it right. Now, notice Paul also continued to still do most of the things that was on his resume. But the motive was different. You understand the difference? Like, he wasn't doing it to get saved. He was doing it because he was saved. Because he's a member of the kingdom. Because he's experienced this righteousness. And it led him up to verse 9. Where it says this. And be found in him. Talking about in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It ain't my own no more. It ain't what I thought was it. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on true faith in him. Either we will trust in a resume that we've built. Or we'll trust in a resume that God's given us to Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at. And he's summing it down to. And he's just saying in this writing right now to the church, he said, guys, you got to get it. You got to get it right because everything you're about to build all your actions off of has got to be built off this right here. Christians, you, you have and you should value righteousness above everything else. Why? Because it's not something you can earn. Because what you earn is rubbish. It's something that, that, that is far better and given to you. Paul, Paul's not just losing things for the sake of losing. He's losing for the sake of something better. He's literally living out the parable of the hidden treasure that Christ taught with with his disciples while he walked along the road, right? You remember there was this immersed uh, treasure of immersed worth in the field. And and this guy finds it. And it's not a loss that he goes and sells everything else he had to to get that field. He's saying what I'm getting is that much better. It's it's that much. It's worth that much more. And valuing righteousness, Paul has learned like I'm, I'm redefining these categories and I'm making sure I get it right. And I'm radically changed because this is how stingy people become generous people. You, you ever seen, I know it's not a religious movie, but you ever watch like Scrooge McDuck this time of the year? Or the, or the real Scrooge. I watch Scrooge McDuck because I'm still a kid at heart, right? And somebody, other people. But you ever notice like in the movie, like everything changes. He goes from being stingy and holding on to all of it, like giving it all away. You know, providing everything for Tiny Tim's family. And that's how it should work in the walk with Christ. You, you should have been stingy, but now you're so generous. Another thing, harsh people become gracious people. You ever been around people who are just harsh? 
Like you're afraid to do anything in front of them because you're afraid of how they're going to judge you and hold you accountable for it. That ain't freedom in Christ, right? Paul himself grew in grace a couple weeks ago, right? How about another one? How about uh, we're naturally vengeful, are we not? So when you get Christ, you become what? Forgiving. You notice that difference? Like I no longer want to kill that guy I wanted to kill. Like it's it's cool now, right? Like we're not best friends, but I don't want to kill him. Like it's progress, right? So it changes. Maybe it's like this. Paul understood he got the right thing. Uh, anybody a food snob? I'm not a food snob. I'll eat anything you invite me over to eat, right? I'm serious. But here, here's the reality. I need to be honest with you guys right now. Get me now. Get me, right? Crispy rice is not Rice Krispies. Right? If you if you didn't get that, hold on, hold on. Cinnamon Toast Squares, they're not Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Right? Oh, if you ain't got me there, you got me right here. God bless the person that did this. Right? Because they had good intentions. Your good intentions suck when it's with an imitation, though. Right? What? Nobody in church. That's how I can say it that way right now. Right? Because you church people gave me Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I love you for it. My pants, they don't love you. Right? Target's going to love you for it because I'm going to have to go buy a new pair, right, to get through everything, right? Somebody brought me a soup, S-O-O-P-E. I don't even know if that says right. Yeah, that's the face I had right there. You know what kind of garbage was on the front of this thing? It said soups. Then it said peanut butter and chocolate cups. Yeah! You don't substitute Reese's peanut butter cups. What is wrong with you? Now that I've got your attention, they also have substitutes for Cocoa Puffs, which blows my mind. There's no substitutes for that kind of stuff, right? Hey, that's where Paul's at, though. Get me, for real. That's, that's where Paul's at. Paul's saying, I've had the real thing, so now the imitations ain't going to work no more. You get what I'm saying? Like, it should be like that in our wall. We, we should have that same, that same disgust over a fake Reese peanut butter cup that we should have over anything that tries to substitute Christ in our life. You understand that? They say, say substitutes just, just ain't going to work. He say, matter of fact, the substitute, literally, he says, they stink. They're not a pleasing aroma to God. They are cow dung. 30 years ago, I realized it. And Paul is saying, I'm still choosing this. Now, how awesome is it that somebody is still choosing it while they're chained up in house arrest? Right? He's not even saying, like, I regret it while I'm here because I'd rather be out. He's saying, this is great because I'm in Christ. This is worth it because I'm in Christ. I'm tearing up my resume because I got an encounter. I've learned how to count because I got an encounter. And here's what he says, 10 and 11. I told you we're just going to read over it as we wrap up, right? Here's 10 and 11 right here. He says, my goal, my goal after all this understanding is to know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, when he says no right here, I'm going to try not to go into a whole sermon, right? But the word know right here is to experience him. It's not know about him. It's not none of that religious mumbo jumbo that he's been talking about that, that he's been learning for years and years and years. He's saying my goal is to experience the Lord, to experience Christ, to experience what about him? The power of his resurrection. Man, that's a bold thing, right? My, my goal is to know him and to have his power. So, so the knowledge of Christ, the experience of Christ, and then also, here's another, so you could call this little mini section right here. I don't know if I get through all five that were on my notes because I purposely closed this so you don't have to worry about it, right? But like, you could call these the benefits of being a believer, the benefits of getting your credentials right. And the first benefit is you get to know Christ. You get to experience Christ. The second one is you get to have the power of Christ. 
Not, not, you know, when you understand this, that the power of, of the resurrection, then that's power to get through anything else, right? The other thing is you get the fellowship of the suffering. That means that while you are getting scars, he's the one holding your hand and getting you through it. While you're getting more than you can handle, he's the one that's pulling you to the other side, right? While, while you're going through some of the mess, he's right there in that fellowship, right? And, and being conformed to his death, dying to self, getting rid of that, that old resume, that old trash, Verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul gives us this giant, awesome resume. Awesome, what he thought was credentials and and benefits and pluses. And he says, if I'm going to get, if I'm going to get some knowledge of him, some power of him, some fellowship with him, some confirmation with him, if I'm going to reach The end goal, I've got to get rid of all that I thought was right and understand what really matters, what the only thing that matters is righteousness that Christ provides. And from that, I'll build my life, my new life going forward. That's him. And that's that's anybody's testimony. Your testimony should have some of your, your past wrong beliefs, your past wrong mistakes, and then a moment where it all changes. And then the moment where, where, where your value system changes and because your value system changes, everything from there on out is done with different reason, different motive and a different motivation. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for this chapter. We thank you for the beginning of this chapter that I don't know if we're still through yet. But Lord, I'm just thankful that you're in charge. I'm thankful that you gave Paul, Lord God, a passion. You changed his zeal from from destroying your church to a zeal for growing your church. God, you allowed him the the right heart attitude where he can openly look up and say, the belief system I had was wrong and needed to be adjusted. God, I pray right now as we sit in a church, as we sit gathered among believers at different levels in our walk, Lord, like like that dial on an old school radio, Lord. Some of us need to be turned a lot of circles to get to the right connection point with you. Some of us just need a little adjusting. But I'm so thankful, Lord God, that it's you that's doing the adjusting. It's you that knows exactly how much to turn on every single one of our lives. Lord, And I just pray as you get us in tune with hearing from your word, your spirit. Lord God, what comes out of the speakers after that is something that will preach to this world. And it'll bring you to glory and no one else. God, we don't do anything for selfish gain. We don't want any recognition, Lord God. We want you to get to glory, Lord God. God, we want what happens in our lives to draw people to you in a relationship with you. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.